morning, everybody. Uh, tonight, with the help of the Lord, we're going to be um, focusing on Romans chapter 8. Um, at first, I thought I was going to do a sermon on um, judgment, but the Lord swayed my mind uh, to do a something about Romans chapter 8. Uh, as you all know, there's many good things in Romans uh, chapter 8, many good verses uh, that are quoted many, many times. And uh, we all know that God wants us to have a close walk with him. He wants us to be more mindful of the things of God, <clears throat> not to seek the things of this world or the flesh. Sin is of the flesh and most of this world. Um, what in the world is that? Oh, anything that man does or works, if you will, cannot save us or take away sin. Our sin nature prevents us from any righteousness. Those that only seek worldly things and seek nothing of the things of God. Um, I'm going to read now from Romans uh, 8 verses 2 through 4. The law of the flesh is just. Oh, excuse me. I have to open up the book and read it. I didn't write it down. Okay, here we go. Excuse me. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. The law of the flesh is lusts, is lusts and, um, my goodness, my writing is atrocious. I should have typed this out. Um, excuse, okay, here it is. <laughs> the law of the flesh is just the same as the wages of sin or the law of sin, which we all know is death. And it's not just a physical death, but an eternity in the lake of fire, or as we say, the second death. God does not like sin, as we all know. God abhors sin or basically has an extreme dislike for sin. Things of the flesh or... Uh, carnally minded, if you will. To be carnally minded is having your mind set on the ways or things of the flesh. Another meaning is to live after the things that animals live for. Now I'm going to read from Romans uh, verses 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the thing the things of the spirit, for to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. God wants us to walk after the spirit as opposed to the flesh. In Romans 8, 1 through 2 and verse 3b, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law, in verse 2, of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. And God, in 3b, sending his own Son in the likeness of the sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. God, our God does not like sin in the least, and yet he gives those who show repentance and faith in him saving grace. We all know we should burn in the lake of fire for all of our sins, but by grace ye are saved, and that through faith, and that not of yourselves, left, lest any man should boast. I'm sure we are all familiar from that from Ephesians. It is the gift of God. Why? <clears throat> so why would he do that? Uh, it is the good pleasure of his will. The will of God, the grace of God. He breathed everything into existence. He created so many wonderful things for himself and for us, and gives us the most wonderful gift of eternal life through his Son, Jesus Christ. There are so many wonders in this world that I have seen myself personally. Beautiful sunsets, an entire town covered in ice after a freezing rain, making everything look as though it is encased in glass. Or that same town covered in snow that sticks to everything. Wonders like the Grand Canyon or Niagara Falls. <clears throat> Wonders in great numbers. So many things that are absolutely amazing. Then there is his amazing gift of eternal salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. Back to our text and the subject of the book of Romans and chapter 8. Let's look at verses 9 through 11 now. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. <clears throat> if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness." But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We all know that the spirit these verses are referring to is the Holy Spirit that dwells in those saved by faith in the Lord Jesus. Uh, verse 10 says that the body is dead because of sins, and there, it, and there is imputed righteousness of Christ in our spirit of life. This reminds me of when we say, absent from the body or our flesh, which also our sin <coughs> is also our sin nature, or the things of the flesh. 
and present with the Lord, which is our eternally saved spirit. Verse 11 says that he that raised up Christ from the dead shall quicken your mortal bodies. We also know that quickened means to be made alive. So our sinful flesh or mortal bodies will be made alive by the Spirit and dwelling in us through faith in Christ. <clears throat> and we will have eternal life. Verses 12 through 13 say, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Verses prior to verse 12 describe the differences between two kinds of life, one living the sinful, self-serving world following flesh as all self-serving the world flesh as all non-Christians do, and the other bring by the Spirit of God like all Christians do. Paul is now teaching about how Christians should live since this is true. Uh, first, he writes that since saved Christians have been given spiritual life, now in the Spirit and the promise of physical resurrection, later by the power of the Spirit, we have an obligation, we have a debt to pay, in a sense. Before describing what that obligation is, though, Paul wants his readers to hear what they are not obligated to do. Christians no longer owe anything to the flesh. It is important to remember that when Paul writes flesh, he does not mean simply the body. He does not even mean just sexual sin. He means the self-serving, self-reliant, me-first way of living in the world that all people apart from Christ follow. We don't <clears throat> owe that old way of living anything. It is not... <clears throat> It is not who we are as Christians any longer. In fact, God specifically calls us to abandon that lifestyle and to live in the almighty of God's powerful spirit. Christians aren't meant for sin and selfishness anymore. Verses 14 through 17 say, for, let me make sure I've got this right, yes, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be to also glorified together. In a brief summary of verses 12 through 17, these verses describe our position in Christ as God's children. Those who have been saved through faith in Christ, first, though Paul warns us that we owe nothing to our old lives in the flesh, that's not who we are any longer, since we are led by God's Spirit, where <clears throat> we are God's children. 
God has not given to us a spirit of slavery, but a spirit of adoption into his family. By God's spirit, we cry out to him as our Abba, which you know means father. Um, he, He confirms in our spirit, too, that we are his children. Uh, In Romans 18 through 27, we read these words. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope. Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creature groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting for adoption to wit the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it? Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth What is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God? In Romans uh, 18 through 27, Paul encouraged believers to hold on to the hope and assurance of our ultimate adoption, redemption, and glorification, even as we patiently suffer in this present life. We find strength amidst our human frailty when we depend on the Holy Spirit's assistance in prayer. When we are unsure uh, how to pray or what to pray for, the Holy Spirit groans within our hearts with words that cannot be uttered or expressed. The phrase rendered in English groanings that cannot be uttered means indescribable wordless groans. In the original Greek language, other things in the same passage also utter wordless groans. All creation now groans as the pains of childbirth. Romans 8, excuse me, Romans 8, 22. And believers groan in worldly... uh, grown in wordly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. Verse 23, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit reminds us that our redemption is guaranteed. We grow weary in our present bodies, and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. While we live 
in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh, but it is not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies so that <clears throat> those dying bodies of that, those dying bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Most of us have struggled in prayer, wondering whether to pray for deliverance from our suffering, miraculous relief and rescue, or the strength to endure through it. Even Paul, the apostle, pleaded with the Lord to take away uh, his thorn in the flesh, only to be told that God's power is made perfect in weakness. Like Paul, we often think we know what we need, but we are not always good judges of God's perfect will. What a relief it is to know that the effectiveness of our prayers does not depend on us. We don't have the knowledge or the words to express what we need because the Father who knows all hearts knows that the Spirit knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us, um, believers in harmony with God's own will. Romans 8.27 um, is basically saying our limited ver vision is no excuse to abandon prayer altogether, for it is essential to Christian life. But we must realize that prayer is a Trinitarian activity. We pray to the Father, and through Jesus Christ, we have access to the Father by the Holy Spirit, who helps and in intercedes for us with an articulate, within articulate groans in a language we cannot understand. The Father searches the human heart, which is the abode of the Spirit, to hear the Spirit's prayer. The Holy Spirit's intercession with groanings that cannot be offered ought not to be confused with speaking in tongues. In Scripture, tongues are expressed in audible, uttered words that are meant to be understood and interpreted. In Romans 8.26, Paul referred to unspoken groanings. These wordless, soundless, speechless groanings are spiritual in nature and divinely understood. We live in a fallen world that is not our permanent home. We are caught between our present sufferings and the future glory that will be revealed in us. We are hounded by weakness with, <clears throat> within and powerful enemies without. We can pray with words using our human understanding, but God has not left us alone in this endeavor. He has given us the ministry of the Holy Spirit who prays on our behalf with groanings that cannot be uttered. We can rely on the Spirit's divine intellect and infinite vision to pray effectively according to God's purpose and His will. Um, I'm going to read on uh, through the rest of Romans, um, verses 28 through 39. And we all know that... <clears throat> 
And we know that all things work together to good for them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he did also predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now this is speaking of when it says, for whom he did foreknow, as we all know, this is... Um, uh, what are the words? Um, predestination. Uh, it's also um, showing that God knows everything that's going to happen. He knows the beginning from the end. Uh, and also that we were chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall we not with him also with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long, we are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all things, all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Those are some pretty profound words when you think about it. Um, neither, nothing can separate us from the love that God has for his elect, which is us. He, um, he chose us from before the foundation of the world. Um, it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? I've heard this in, uh, I've heard this in movies. Uh, I'm not sure if it was said of during World War II. Uh, as many of you know, people were going against tyranny and uh, against an antichrist that was uh, Hitler. Also, um, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. justifieth. He is the ultimate judge. He has the ultimate justice. He knows um, how to judge properly uh, and in truth. As I said once before in one of my previous uh, sermons, God can only tell the truth. Um, knowing that as Christians, um, maybe it's because they aren't Christians themselves or because they don't understand God's word or take the time to delve into it and find out God does not lie. So why wouldn't anybody believe God's word? Um, if he can't lie, you would think that people in this day and age especially would be seeking out someone that cannot lie. 
God cannot lie. Um, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Not tribulations or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness or peril or sword. Nothing can separate us from our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's something that's pretty... It's pretty intense, and it's also an extremely wonderful thing to know. This pulls a great burden off of our shoulders. Um, I know that uh, as I've been learning uh, the things of the Lord, uh, listening to Danny's sermons, also pastors, uh, reading things myself and learning, uh, going online and going into places that uh, Wade has told me to go into. Um, let's see, there's he gave me the Knaves um, Bible. He also told me uh, what's the what's the God's. There's a place online. There's so many places online where you can get wonderful information. And then you just have to remember, you can't believe everything that's online. So when you go on and you read something, if you think there's something a little bit fishy about it, get into God's word and find, read the, uh, the meanings of words. Uh, when we first started coming here, I heard the word abhors. Didn't know what it meant. It means an extreme dislike. God abhors sin. He has an extreme dislike for it. And another thing that boggles my mind is he hates sin. We have sinly flesh, but he gives up his son. He had this plan from before the foundation of the world that he was going to give up his son for our sins so we could spend an eternity in heaven with him. Why would he do that? I, I mean, we're a bunch of morons running around here with our our heads uh, like chickens with our heads cut off. And um, yet he does this wonderful things for us. Um, and of course it is, um, it says in the Bible, it's because of his grace, his, um, the good pleasure of his will. That's something that's pretty fantastic that he would do that for people such as we that are so undeserving of anything other than the lake of fire. But he um, had Jesus go to the cross. Jesus knew what he was going to do, and he laid down his life willingly, took all of our sins upon his own body so that we could spend an eternity with him and the Lord God for all eternity. That's pretty fantastic. Also, um, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. I think these are the things that we face in everyday life. Um, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In other words, having faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you can overcome these things knowing that you have Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit backing you up. Why would you fear anything? Um, the biggest thing in our world today, and I hear it every day, and I, I just laugh, is the impending doom of global warming. Um, it, the world is going to end. Well, it says right in God's word that the world is going to be around for another 10,000 years or so. And it tells you many of these things that, like I said, God cannot lie. Uh, and he tells us what is in our future. Uh, there will be many wars. 
Uh, there will be false prophets. There will be people coming and saying, oh, I'm Jesus. And we've seen a few of those uh, over in Waco. Uh, we've seen, um, I can't think of anybody else. Uh, I'm not sure about the Jonestown. I was too young and I haven't read up anything about that. But a whole bunch of people killed themselves drinking cyanide. Um, he might have been a false prophet. Um uh, David Koresh, I know he said that uh, he was supposed to be the new Messiah, uh, but then some people that had gone to the FBI and to the authorities when David Koresh said, no, no I am the new Messiah, therefore you cannot have sexual relations with your partners or your wives, That I, that's up to me to do that. Jesus isn't going to come back to have sex with your wives or anything else like that. That is not the the way of Jesus. Jesus is, that's just totally not him. Anybody that hears that should automatically run for the hills. And some of them did. Unfortunately, some of them were um, not allowed to leave. And we all know what happened after that. But the... Um, it says here, uh, we are neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities or powers or things present or things to come. Height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God. That is so comforting in these uh, times. Um, I think of uh, some of the things that um, they say about global warming and things like that. I'm a firm believer that things run in cycles. Uh, one man said that uh, the rains, for instance, go in, uh, what did he say? It was 10, 20, and 50-year cycles of rain. Um, one thing that proves this is uh, over 100 years ago, when the Donner Party was going through the Sierra Nevada mountains, they got caught in a terrible snowstorm. 12 feet of snow, maybe it was more, no, it was 12 feet of snow fell in 12 hours. They got stuck there. A lot of their animals died climbing the mountains. They sent people off. I think a lot of them got trapped and they died. But what I'm getting to is 100 years to the weekend after the Donner Party got trapped, 12 feet of snow fell in the exact same spot and the exact same amount of time. Things go in cycles. Um, there have been floods. The, we've seen the Mississippi River Valley. We've seen it flood, um, I think, back in Ohio a couple of years in the early 90s. Um, the Mississippi River Valley flooded. I remember hearing back in the 80s that the Mississippi River Valley had flooded. Um, and then sometimes there's drought. Things run in cycles. Look at what just happened out in California. They've been going through a terrible drought uh, in San Diego just a couple of days ago. They got a quarter of their annual year's rain in six hours. But things run in cycles. Um, I heard when they were, uh, people were moving west and um, settling this country, 100,000 people lived out in the L.A. area, and there was no water. So they, a man went up into the mountains, and he found a lake, and they um, made a, um, I don't know what you would call it. Anyway, they made a way to bring the water from the lake down to 
uh, the area that they were living in. And then a boom happened and over a million people had moved into that area. And then, of course, many millions since. But they say, oh, it's a dry area. It's global warming. No, it's been a desert when you got there. And then more than likely, it's going to be a desert many hundreds of years later. So it only stands to reason. If you move to a dry reason, region, more than likely, it's going to stay dry. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, and one of the things I, I kind of make fun of the uh, scientists, and I say that um, if you're worried about global warming, maybe we should cut down all of the trees on the planet Earth and see because the Earth is spinning. And when hurricanes come and they encounter trees and mountains, the trees cause wind resistance. So the trees slow down the planet from spinning. So if we cut down all the trees, there's less wind resistance. It'll spin faster and it'll cool down. Makes about just as much sense as what they're spewing. Yeah. So anyway, <laughs> but uh, anyway, if you have any fears, you know, get into God's word. Listen to what God has to say. Listen to the things that pastor says and Danny and the things that Wade teaches, read it. If you don't understand it, go back, study the meanings of the words. And um, it's, a, it's a really fantastic book. Um, it can relieve, uh, remove a lot of burdens from your shoulders, uh, which makes me think of the uh, when Jesus told people um, that his yoke is light uh, and his, um, your burdens will be easy with the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, that's something that's pretty fantastic, if you ask me. And like I said, I'll never understand why he did these things for us, but I'm glad that he did. Amen. Glad that he did. So anyway, uh, that's all I have for you for this evening. Um, if you would all uh, stand if you can, and we'll uh, finish with a word of prayer. And if Wade, if you would lead us in that prayer, please. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Holy Spirit, of the Lord Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that we can indeed come to your throne of grace through what Jesus Christ has done for us. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you condemn sin in the flesh, but you give us life through Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, thank you that we do have life through Jesus Christ, Amen. eternal life. Heavenly Father, help us to constantly seek you so that we can follow the Spirit and not the deeds of the flesh. I ask Heavenly Father that you be with us as we go from here, bring us back at the next appointed time, and I pray that all that we say and do will bring honor and glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things in his name. Amen. 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 Thank you. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate that. Jim for me, Cole's dad. Cole's dad. No, I didn't. I only know Cole through work. Uh, he comes up there and picks up parts and so on and so forth. So that's Cole only... went to school with my son. Ah.